Well, howdy, Hootah Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootah Thunk It podcast, Zeb, coming at you today. Um, I want to say good morning, because it's morning as I record this, but who knows when the hell you're listening to it. So, good morning, good afternoon, good night, whatever. Have a good one. This is episode 106, titled The Battle of Blair Mountain. Before we get into the subject of Blair Mountain and the battle of which happened there, we're going to do the recommendations segment, as always. Um, recently, I was scrolling through Netflix, and I saw a movie from the 90s that I hadn't seen in ages called Gattaca. G-A-T-T-A-C-A. And I don't... And, and don't worry, even though this movie's from 1997, I won't spoil anything for you, because I really want you to watch it. It's a good movie. Starring Ethan Hawke, Jude Law, Uma Thurman, and a bunch of other familiar faces, um, like Alan Arkin... Um, Hank from Breaking Bad was in it, a very young Hank, because it came out in 1997. Uh, very small role, but what a movie. Lots of cast members, you're like, oh my gosh, they're so young. Alan Arkin is like vibrant, and I mean, he, I'm sure he was probably in his 60s or something, or 50s, but so vibrant. It's like, wow, that's Alan Arkin. <laughs> he plays a detective. Uh, but it's a movie I would see scattered scenes of while flipping through the HBO channels on my TV at home as a younger like teenager. When I did get around to watching the entire movie, I was shocked by how deep the experience was. Uh, the level of detail that went into making that movie feel like it was really in the future, set you know, in the future, it was astounding. I mean, they took so many things. Um, they did have like talk watches, like phone watches, but they didn't look like Apple watches. They were like a lot. <laughs> Those are kind of hokey looking, but it still stands up. Even though it's such an old movie, certain things you're like, oh, that's not at all how the future is. But it's, it's a really good movie, and it really does set you into the future. My favorite part of the movie is how they took uh, what I thought was just a mere subplot and turned out to be, like, one of the most important parts of the movie. That's not a spoiler alert. You're not going to see it coming. I told Shannon that the one scene in this movie changed how I saw the world afterwards, which to me is the greatest compliment I could ever give a movie. If you change how I see the world or you change my perspective on life, that... That is truly spectacular movie. Uh, it was a box office flop, which means it didn't make much money, but it was critically acclaimed. It's a great one. It's a hidden gem, and it's on Netflix right now. So check it out. Gattaca, Ethan Hawke, Jude Law, Uma Thurman. Great, great movie. Now, for the main event, the largest uprising in the history of the United States of America is simply known as the American Civil War. Since then, there have been a few uprisings within the states. The largest uprising since the Civil War is known as the Battle of Blair Mountain. Now, when I first read that, I thought, huh, as an American, I've always thought of, yeah, there's the Civil War. We're hear about it all the time, school, whatever. But I've heard literally nothing about any uprising since the Civil War. None. No other uprising in America have I ever heard about other than the Civil War. So this, that intrigued me I'm, automatically. This battle was the largest encounter of what came to be known as the Coal Wars. The Battle of Blair, Mount Blair Mountain occurred in Logan County, West Virginia, as part of the Coal Wars, a series of early 20th century labor disputes in Appalachia. Up to 100 people were killed and many more arrested. The labor union United Mine Workers temporarily saw declines in membership, uh, but the long-term publicity led to improvements in membership and working conditions in the mines. As for the battle itself, it was five days from late August to early September 1921. Some 10,000 armed coal miners confronted 3,000 lawmen and strike breakers, later called the Logan Defenders, who were backed by lo coal mine operators and companies 
during the miners' attempt to unionize the southwestern West Virginia coal fields when tensions rose between workers and mine management. The battle ended after approximately one million rounds were fired, and the United States Army, represented by the West Virginia Army National Guard, led by McDowell County native William Eubanks, intervened by presidential order. So that's just a good summarization there. What the heck? How have I never heard of this? A force of 10,000 up against a force of 3,000, which was then later backed by the U.S. Army, by presidential order. A million rounds fired. There's aircraft involved. There's machine guns, mortar. What? How have I never heard of this? All this happened within a few hours' drive of where I live now and never even heard of it. That's nuts. PBS made a documentary on the subject titled The Coal Wars. Um, their description of the documentary was written very well. So I, I think the way they wrote it was well, and I, I wanted to include it here. It reads, At the dawn of the 20th century, coal was the fuel that powered the nation. Yet few Americans thought much about the men who blasted the black rock from underground and hauled it to the surface. The Mine Wars tells the overlooked story of the miners in the mountains of, south, of southern West Virginia, native mountaineers, African-American migrants, and European immigrants, who came together in a protracted struggle for their rights. Decades of violence, strikes, assassinations, and marches accompanied their attempts to form a union, culminating in the Battle of Blair Mountain in 1921, the largest armed insurrection since the Civil War. The West Virginia Mine Wars raised profound questions about what freedom and democracy meant to working people in the industrial society. So this is a huge deal. How have I never heard of this? Well, that's why I delved into it, and I, I, I think I did a good job couple of resources here, quoted some places directly, and paraphrased a bit. But uh, I hope you, hope you look into this yourself as well. I don't know why there isn't... Yes, they made documentaries. I don't know why there isn't an actual movie, but we'll get into it. This all started with coal miners wanting better working conditions from the coal companies. Happens, we all want better conditions of work. Um, there were unions and big successful coal companies involved here. Now, I'm no expert on labor unions. In fact, I consider myself to be quite in the dark on the subject. But I'm aware the topic is quite polarizing and tends to turn into a political issue. So you might fall on one side or the other. Unions good, unions bad. I don't know. I'm not getting into that. I'm, I'm also aware that organized crime is heavily involved in the history surrounding labor unions. I won't pretend to know if labor unions are good or bad. But from what I've read on this particular subject about the Battle of Blair Mountain, I am 100% on the union side. No other, I don't have, I have no, no, nothing else about unions. I'm not going to talk about it. But with this, I'm on the union side. I'm on the miner side. Um, and you'll see why. These coal miners were subjected to some of the most blatantly immoral working conditions that I've ever heard of before. These coal miners owned, or coal companies owned everything in the area. They built entire towns. They owned the homes. They owned the general stores, the schools, etc. So their power and influence was all-encompassing. They even had complete control over the economy by distributing their own currency known as company scripts. You couldn't use U.S. dollars in the towns that these coal companies owned. So if you work for the coal mines, you were paid in script. You were not paid in U.S. dollars. So if you wanted to leave the town, good luck because you had literally no currency to use outside of the town that the coal companies had. They, ha they, they had you like a like a like a sticky fly trap you could not leave the coal companies made it so their stores only accepted scripts they're they're made up money so the miners and townsfolk that live there were financially bound to the town 
that they lived and worked in. Miners lived in company-owned houses, shopped in company-owned stores, only allowed to spend company money, and had their entire lives ruled by the company they worked for. They weren't even given the proper tools to use to use on the job. They had to lease the mining equipment that they used, so they're owing debt on that too. If that level of influence wasn't enough, the miners were forced to sign yellow dog contracts, as they were called to be called. These contracts strictly forbid miners from joining a labor union or even associating with anyone in a union. Penalty for breaking these yellow dog contracts was immediate termination from their job. And like, okay, you get fired. That's not great. It gets worse. In a town where you couldn't find any other type of work. So you're fired. You live in this town. Literally every job in the town is run by the same company. So just imagine trying to find a job in an area where everything is owned by the company that just fired you. Everyone is on their payroll. The miners that were caught joining a union or even caught being seen with someone in the union didn't lo just lose their jobs. They were blacklisted from the company, the entire town, and were evicted because they were living in homes owned by the company. This is the 20th century version of being banished. It was common for yellow dog contract breakers to be beaten by the company security on their way out of town. And where did they go next? Despite all the company's efforts to discourage unionization, unionization, the West Virginia coal miners did band together in the effort to improve working conditions. So there was certain like rebellious union, labor unions popping up here and there because there was a huge need for it despite all this, the company's efforts to discourage it. But the coal companies had lots of wealth on their side. They hired men from the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency to be their muscle. It was the Baldwin Feltz boys who kept the miners in line, uh, but they weren't official law enforcement, and they didn't abide by any official form of morality or code like today's police officers do, or should, technically. Uh, won't get into that either. They simply did as their employer told them. At any sign of uprising or pushback against the coal companies, the Baldwin Feltz detectives, as they called themselves, I don't, that's such a, they just gave that name to sound more like police. The Baldwin Feltz detectives uh, would perform drive-by shootings at miners' homes. This didn't only endanger the miners, but their families as well. Women and children were being killed by these, these thugs, Baldwin Feltz detectives, because people weren't doing what the company said. They're being injured or killed in dispute. That escalated, you know, that dispute that I messed that up. <laughs> this dispute over company things got women and children killed, and that escalated things even further. Nine years before the Battle of Blair Mountain, a group of miners were on strike. They wanted their union to be recognized by their employer. The striking miners were dealt with uh, by the Belt Baldwin Feltz Agency. Okay, and this had happened a couple times. Strike happens because work conditions were horrible. They wanted their union. To Unions demands to be recognized. Baldwin's felt show up. The agents, they show up and they bust things up. The agents forcibly evicted minor families at gunpoint. They threw all of their property out onto the street. And when the miners um, and their families were evicted, this way they resorted to living in tents and even creating tent colonies with other evicted miners. So just outside of town. Now you have people who are evicted from the coal mining towns. Now they're living in like just like tent colonies in the middle of the woods. The agents drove an armored train through one of these tent colonies and opened fire on the evicted miners and machine with machine guns. At least one person was killed. We know that for a fact, at least one. So think about this. You're already evicted. Now you just have a tent colony. Now they think, oh, 
the, this 10 colony has too much power compared to my entire town. So why don't we drive our boys through and shoot at them just to let them know, hey, don't get too much power out there in the woods in your tents. A few years later, the same agents were employed in Ludlow, Colorado. This is unrelated to the coal mine, but it shows you what kind of people the Baldwin's felt were. They were employed in Ludlow, Colorado, where they burned women and children alive in a mining camp cellar. These were bad men. Baldwin felt guys, agents, bad dudes. In spring of 1920, shots were fired between the Baldwin Feltz agency and a pro-union group of miners, including a West Virginian police chief. The result was 10 killed, including the town mayor. Less than one year after the shootout, the police chief was acquitted of all charges related to the shootout. As he and his deputy left, they were gunned down by the Baldwin Feltz agents on the courthouse steps. This shit played out like a movie. And I haven't the faintest idea why it hasn't been made into one yet. A live action drama movie or, so, or action movie. The police chief's name was Sid Hatfield. He was on the side of the miners. So you have an official police people on the side of the miners. Being gunned down by Baldwin's felts. Sid Hatfield was a police chief. He was taken to court. Followed the law. Acquitted by all the charges of being in the shootout where 10 people died over this dispute and on the courthouse steps was gunned down. He was a friend of the miners of uh, Matawan, uh, West Virginia. He took the role of public servant seriously. He did things like instead of arresting the miners when they got drunk and rowdy, he'd walk them home. This is the guy who was gunned down on courthouse, on the court steps. That's, that's nuts to me. The Baldwins felt blatant disregard for the people's court ruling was a step too far. I mean, they gunned down a freshly acquitted police chief on the steps of the courthouse. If a corporate security force did that today and no government entity did anything about it, a mob would probably rip them to pieces. That's nuts. Our society is a thing that we also subscribe to and recognizing the law is probably the most important part of that subscription to society. Individuals or groups disregard the law all the time, and for that, they are considered criminals. But when a well-armed group of thousands assassinates a police chief, they are calling upon the for full force of society to show them what it means to go against it. What it means to completely cast aside the law as if you are more powerful than society itself. So that's what happened here. This was the spark that lit Blair Mountain ablaze with fury. And I'll admit, it kind of got me fired up just reading it. <laughs> a corporate hired security force murdering a police chief who had just been acquitted by court on the courthouse steps. Yep, I would probably take up arms and march through the mountains of Appalachia myself. That is ridiculous. Now, a force of about 10,000 miners and union workers, unioners, took up their hunting rifles and prepared for an all-out war after this. A lot of these men were veterans of the First World War, and they were prepared to fight a proper fight. These miners were up against a force of about 3,000 men from the Baldwin Feltz Agency, coal companies, and eventually even the federal government intervened at the order of President Harding. The Smithsonian Magazine summarized the battle as such. I took it straight from this, the smithsonianmag.org. The Battle of Blair Mountain saw 10,000 West Virginia coal miners march in protest of perilous work conditions squalid housing and low wages, among other grievances. They set out from the small hamlet of Marmot with the goal of advancing upon Mingo County a few days travel away to meet the coal companies on their own turf and demand redress. They would not reach their goal. 
The marchers instead faced opposition from deputized townspeople and business people who opposed their union organizing, and more importantly, from local and federal law enforcement that brutally shut down the burgeoning uh, movement. The opposing sides clashed near Blair Mountain, a 2,000-foot peak in southwestern Logan County, giving the battle its name. So that's what happened. 10,000 West Virginia coal miners and union people marched through the mountains of Appalachia across counties to try to get to where their coal company was headquartered and be like, hey, this shit won't stand. Your boys just murdered a police chief. You need to, you need to say something about it. Now, they didn't make it there. We'll go into more detail here. What does this all mean? Well, this was a proper, this was a power of the people moment. Those who took up arms knew they were up against those who had oppressed them for so long. And while the Baldwin Feltz agency had broken the law when they killed the police chief, Sid Hatfield, the miners were now the ones on the other side of the law, on the other side of society. The 10,000 fighting force of the miners were up against society, and they knew it probably wasn't going to be the best outcome. And a historian by the name of Chuck Keeney is a descendant of one of the labor union leaders, Frank Keeney. And he, was a, he has a wealth of knowledge on the Battle of Blair Mountain. He says the miners never gave up any leaders of their army due to a vow of secrecy. They never told anyone who led them. They wanted to avoid any pinpointed legal retaliation on any man who led their cause. Though these miners don't have a name um, of a general that led them into battle, written anywhere in the history books, they did consider themselves an army. And most historians agree they were organized just like one. They had a large force and a uniting cause. They rebelled against the security system that kept them in line for all those years, but they were also seeking vengeance for their friend Sid Hadfield and the deputy that was killed with him on those courthouse steps. And just because they were full of secrets and were officially leaderless doesn't mean doesn't make them unorganized. Remember, uh, a great deal of these men had fought in the Great War. They knew how to put up a, uh, a proper fight. The battle included military-grade machine guns and even aircraft was used to bomb the rebels. So you have airplanes, military aircraft, you have mortars, you have machine guns. This was a class war, or at least the closest thing our country has ever seen to it. Forget what you've uh, seen on the news in the past few years with protests and looting. That all pales in comparison to a force of 10,000 blue-collar workers taking up arms and marching across the Appalachian Mountains to confront their employers and politicians. Could you imagine the media coverage today? This was no small thing, and I know it was 100 years ago, but Jesus, how is it not bigger now? After days of marching and taking fire from enemies across valleys and over the mountaintops, the fighting did end. It was September 2nd of 1921 when President Warren G. Harding agreed to pl the pleas of West Virginia politicians. Uh, Mr. President sent federal troops, the United States Army, it was West Virginia uh, National Guard, but still, the United States Army was sent in to, conf uh, to the conflict to break it up. National troops, the army. The veterans of the Miners Army were most likely seen as leaders in all this. So when they refused to take up arm against their own government, their own fellow veterans, which they had fought for so recently, it persuaded the entire force to do so as well. Their fight wasn't against their beloved Uncle Sam. It was against the coal companies, the ones who had made their lives a living hell for so long. In the end, men had died. Historians uh, fight. Find it, find it difficult to find an exact number, but somewhere between 100 and 200 men had been killed. Also, 958 of those miners were brought up on charges for murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and treason against the state. 
Some of these men were acquitted by or by juries of their sympathetic peers, but others spent years in prison. The uh, last miner of Blair Mountain was paroled in 1924, so only a couple years. That goes to show you they, a force of 10,000, fought up against law enforcement, townsfolk, and the federal army. And uh, the longest any of them spent in prison was three years. And that's considering men died on all sides. At least one person in the army died. Hundreds of people, or a bunch of, <laughs> dozens of people died on the Baldwin Feltz side. And of course, the largest casualty rate was on the minor side. But only three years in prison. That's crazy. Another mentionable point in all this is the diversity of the minor army. Back in 1921, the civil rights had not yet happened yet. Most towns were segregated, West Virginia coal towns being of no exception. Brown v. Board of Education, the landmark decision of the United States Supreme Court that ruled against racial segregation in public schools um, being unconstitutional, that wouldn't come across the desk of the Supreme Court until 1952. So this is pre-all that stuff, pre-civil rights. From the Smithsonian.org's article, however, Wilma Steele, a board member of the West Virginia Mine Wars Museum, says Matawan uh, was one of the only towns in the United States where black and white children, most commonly Polish, Hungarian, and Italian immigrants, went to school together. Other miners were white Appalachian hill folk. Most all, most all were kept apart in order to prevent organization and unionization. It didn't work. Keeney recalls one incident during the mine wars. Black and white miners held cafeteria workers at gunpoint until they were all served food in the same room and refused to be separated for meals. So, um, and Keeney says this, we don't want to exaggerate it and act like they were all holding hands around the campfire. But at the same time, they all understood that if they didn't work together, they couldn't be effective. Uh, the only way to shut down the mines was to make sure everybody participated. So it wasn't kumbaya in Mattawa, West Virginia, when it comes to segregation and uh, racial disputes, but they were leagues ahead of the rest of the country. They were working together on things. After the Battle of Blair Mountain, the Coal Miners Union saw a drastic drop in membership, which hinted that the uprising had a negative effect on its own cause. Uh, but that didn't last long. Soon membership shot back up. And even though the miners had lost the battle, they had made their plight known to the nation. The years and decades following the battle saw working conditions greatly improve in the mines. Now, what do I think about all this? This is a huge battle. While reading about all-out warfare that occurred just a hundred years ago within the USA, I thought to myself, how have I never heard about this? Um, I live within just a few hours drive of Mingo County and Mattawa, West Virginia, and where this all went down. How am I just now hearing about it as I look up obscure topics for podcast episodes? This was a big freaking deal. Um, then I put on my tin hat and thought, you know, maybe, just maybe, it's the elites of the world that have made this topic seem less important than it is. The same organizations and governments that ban movies like The Battleship Potemkin. You know, the people trying to censorship stuff. Battleship Potemkin's a movie. It's a story about sailors on the Russian ship Potemkin that revolt against their harsh conditions. The sailors kill the officers of the ship to gain their freedom. The people of the nearby city Odessa honor the sailors as a symbol of revolution. The Tsarist government soldiers arrive and massacre the civilians to quell the uprising. A squadron of ships is sent in to overthrow the Potemkin, uh, but the ships side with the revolt and refuse to attack. This film... Uh, was banned in so many countries across the world for fear that it would call their civilization or their citizens to revolt. 
Um, so I'm thinking maybe people buried this, the story of the Battle of Blair Mountain to keep working citizens from revolting in their own society today. But who am I kidding? The elites didn't bury this story of Blair Mountain. I mean, I was able to find it myself with a simple Google search. Dozens of credible sources, the Smithsonian, for Christ's sake, uh, documented the battle with great detail. Perhaps it is us, the people, who choose to forget. I don't know. But I, I, a couple of topics I go across on this podcast, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. This one I feel like people should really know about. They should make a movie about it. Um... And I feel like with today's racial stuff going on and, and equality being a really big topic of today, the fact that these miners were of all race and creed might help that, you know, Hollywood go like, oh, yeah, it approves our message of diversity or whatever. I don't know. Make it happen. It's not it's it's a it's a big story. I feel like it's very important. An all out battle happened on U.S. soil between its own citizens and a, and a corporation. And the government decided or sided with whom? The corporations, the companies, the coal companies. Yeah, quite the message. Um, someone made a movie about that today. It might be pretty big. Maybe that would be banned like the Battleship Potemkin. I don't know. But uh, one thing I do know is that the miners of Blair Mountain took a stand, made a difference in this world. And for that, I am grateful. Um, I don't work in conditions like they did and pretty happy about that. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. Until next week, tune in. Um, and have a good day. <laughs> Look up more about this because it's a big deal.